in Colossians 4. So this is our last sermon in our series going through Colossians. So Colossians 4, and we'll read from verse 2 all the way to the end. So in your pew Bible, this should be on page 1,167. 1,167. So Colossians 4, starting at verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved the comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha in the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see to it that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Harry Reader is a Reformed pastor And he's also the author of Embers to a Flame, a great book on what Scripture teaches for how a church can be revitalized. In this book, he says that it's important to remember that before seeking growth, we need to seek health because he says growth proceeds from health. He gives the example of a growing child You feed them, and then they grow. 
you focus on their health, giving them what they need, and then they will grow. So health is vital for growth. We should be aiming for health and for growth, but health is what brings forth both. And this has been the main theme of the entire book of Colossians. If you haven't been here uh, to hear all the previous sermons, you would, know, you would find as you read Colossians that the main message is that the church needs to be mature, a healthy body of believers to be built up in Christ, to be strengthened in the faith. And in this final passage that we just read, Paul addresses this very same concern. And he does so looking at the intersection of health and growth, maturity and growth. And so the spirit here in this passage, he tells us what it means to be a healthy body. A mature church of Christ is a church on mission. That's the theme for this morning, summarizing the passage. And we'll see first the mature church will be on mission in prayer, and then second on mission in outreach, and third on mission in fellowship. And so this is what every church of Christ should be pursuing, this kind of maturity. And so first, a mature church of Christ is a church on mission in prayer. Verse 2, Paul gives a general command to the Colossians. Colossians 4, verse 2. There he says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being thankful or watchful and thankful. So to be a healthy church, a mature church, and also a mature believer, we need to be steadfast and persistent in praying. Prayer is communication with God. It's like a cell phone. It connects us, which connects us to others. In the same way, prayer is communication with God. It connects us to Him. And so we need to be addicted to prayer more than we are addicted to our phones. And that's a tall task for the modern church. But then Paul adds that we are also to pray while being watchful. Now, there are different ways that this could be understood. One is that it's similar language to what Christ commands three of his disciples when he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Matthew 26, verse 41, Christ says to the three disciples, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So it has this idea of being alert so that you can continue to pray. But this watchfulness could also have the idea of being watchful, prepared for the coming of Christ again, or being watchful for the blessings, the responses of God to our prayers. You know, for instance, like keeping a prayer journal that helps us keep watch for how God has responded and fulfilled the prayers in the past. 
And then after we see that God has responded, we then give thanks for those blessings. And this is the second thing Paul calls us to do while praying. It's another minor theme in Paul's letter to the Colossians, to be thankful to God. It comes up at least two other times. Thankfulness. Thankfulness is the proper response to receiving gifts. For instance, if the Queen of England came to you, gave you, uh, or the King of England, sorry, if the King of England came and he gave you a million dollars and a house on one of his many estates, it would seem odd and even disrespectful to not show him your thanks. And in Christ, we have received so much more than that. And we will even receive more in the future. And that is why it would seem odd and even disrespectful when a Christian doesn't have a spirit and prayers that are full of thanksgiving to the Lord for all that we have received in Jesus Christ. And so a mature church deeply understands the gospel, what God has done for them in the Lord. And they pray in response with thanksgiving. And so congregation, you are called to be a prayerful church. Harry Reader, the same guy that I quoted from before, he compares prayer to the oxygen that a fire needs to stay alive. He says, without, oxyg- without the oxygen of prayer to produce the flame of renewal, no amount of human effort can make it happen. We need prayer like we need to breathe. Without, the, without prayer, without oxygen, the body, the church, cannot be healthy. And this is why, as a body of believers, it's important to come together for prayer. And that's why Reformed churches have typically held prayer meetings in the middle of the week. It's an important time to pray for the needs of the church, to ask God to build up the church, to save the lost, and also to give thanks to God for all that we have. And it's good to see, as you can see in your bulletin, that there is Wednesday prayer meetings. You know, joining them has been a great learning experience for my wife and I. It's convicted us, it's built us up. And it's a very practical way for you as a body to personally take the Spirit's call to prayer, to be watchful, to be thankful. You have this great opportunity to come together in these corporate prayer meetings. And Paul now moves from that general command to pray, and he flushes it out, giving some very good specifics. He says, if you look at verse 3 and 4, some of these specifics. Verse 3 and 4, he says, And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Paul asked them to pray for him and the others 
who are laboring to preach the gospel, laboring to reveal to the world the mystery of Jesus Christ. This mystery, which was also another theme that came up in the book of Colossians. And we have to remember that Paul is writing all of this while in prison, as he mentions there. But even while in prison, Paul is looking for opportunities to share the gospel. And the Colossians, what are they to be doing? They are to be on mission for the gospel in their daily prayers, praying that the gospel would spread, that sinners who are destined for hell would be saved, and that in all of this, God is the one who would be glorified. We see that prayer isn't some passive thing. It's an active part in the mission of God. It's an active part in mission work. And so as a church, we need to be praying for the missions abroad and also the missions here in Surrey. Pray for church visitors, for instance, by name. Pray for the souls of your neighbors. Pray for your colleagues. Pray for those here who are going out and sharing the gospel, handing out tracts. Pray for opportunities for your own family to to take guests under your wing, to disciple them in the gospel. We can think of practical reasons why we should pray for this mission work. For instance, it can make you more outward-minded when you're thinking about this all the time. When you pray for your neighbor, you'll grow to be more intentional and loving them, loving them enough to share the gospel with them. But more important than those practical benefits is that God works through prayer. Through our prayer, it's tough to believe at times, but through our prayer, God accomplishes mighty works. Faithful prayer to the one true God changes history. One theologian, Douglas Kelly, writes that we must uphold two truths together. First, that God has an all-encompassing plan and is utterly sovereign over all things. But two, also, that human prayer really is effective in the supernatural realm. And so let us be a church that prays for the salvation of lost sinners, trusting in God's power. This now takes us to point two. A mature church of Christ is a church on mission in outreach and evangelism. Let's read from verse five. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. In a similar way that Paul just wrote about uh, uh, that he could share the gospel clearly, the Colossians now are to act in a way that clearly demonstrates the gospel to unbelievers. This means that 
Unbelievers can tell that your Christian faith is authentic. It's real. It's not fake or just cultural. It's not hypocritical. And so we see that how we act is important. We have to live out the gospel. Not that we just have to be nice people who cause no offense. The Colossians, like us, live in an age where there is now a sharp divergence in values. There are things that Christians should do that will cause great offense to many in, the, in our city here. And this is the same thing that happened with our Lord Jesus Christ in his time. Many of the things he did and said were very offensive to the people of that time. But from our conduct, people should see an imitation of Jesus Christ, one who is a Christian, one who is putting off vices and putting on virtue, as Paul mentioned in the previous chapter. Over the years, I've known many unbelievers who have played soccer with me and also with various Christians. In one situation, they thought the Christians they were playing with because of their behavior and attitude were actually worse to play with than their secular team. But in other situations, the unbelievers could tell that there is something different about these guys. And so believers, through these ordinary ways, need to make the most of every opportunity and interaction. Even in ordinary circumstances, like playing soccer. We have to be mature enough to have an eye for evangelism and outreach in all kinds of circumstances and situations. And so a mature church is on mission in evangelism by also being hospitable, by being hospitable and friendly to guests. And we see that this maturity is actually just a fulfilling and outgrowth of the sixth commandment. In the Heidelberg Catechism, for instance, when it explains the command, you shall not murder, it says, when God condemns envy, hatred, and anger, he commands us to love our neighbors as ourselves, to show patience, peace, gentleness, mercy, and friendliness toward him, to protect him, from harm as much as we can, and to do good even to our enemies. And so a mature church is a friendly church. A mature Christian is a friendly Christian. And this is one way that we act wisely and make the most of every opportunity. Instead of grumbling about caring for others, we are to be a friendly, welcoming, and hospitable church. And this is a calling for the body and for each member of the church to be friendly and hospitable in their own way. You know, for God has blessed us all with unique personalities that will be friendly in unique ways. God doesn't want us to just be clones of one another. Different circumstances and different guests will need various forms of friendliness and hospitality. And that's why the Lord has blessed us with unique personalities to be friendly in various 
ways. And in verse 6, Paul then moves from our walk to our talk. Let's look there at verse 6. He says, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. It's not enough to just imitate Christ in our actions. People need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the church, there's been the idea that ordinary Christians can just live out their lives and that's enough. You may have heard the phrase, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. Now, the point of that quote is obviously to emphasize how important our walk is, which is very good. But sometimes people use that quote to think, okay, I don't need to use words then. We can deform to be, mere, to be merely silent witnesses or influences. But what Paul assumes is that the gospel will be brought by us, every member. The gospel will be brought up in conversations, questions will be asked, and discussion will ensue. I think of what we hear about in Acts 8, verse 4. In Acts 8, verse 4, we hear about the early believers, ordinary believers, and it says, now these ordinary believers were scattered about, and when they went about, they preached the word. And so this is a task for all believers who have been called and given the office, ordinary office, as a prophet. But how are we to talk? How are we to share and preach the word? Well, just as our actions must be, be uh, shaped by the gospel, so also our talk. It must be full of grace, as Paul says. One commentator summarizes what this means. He says, It is the result of God's grace in our heart and is characterized by a truthfulness, love, and a forgiving spirit and is never abusive or vindictive. And our conversations should also be seasoned with salt. Seasoned with salt. This means that when we share the gospel, the substance, you know, the meat, if we want to say, we try to do so in a way that is interesting, that's striking, and thoughtful, rather than boring or in a way that makes it, that fails to grasp the attention of the person we are talking to. And this means we must learn to understand the people we are talking with. What are their interests and beliefs? What common ground do we have through which I can present the gospel in a compelling way? Now, the reason Paul calls us to have conversations that are full of grace and seasoned with salt is so that our call to faith our presentation of the gospel to others, to the individual we're talking to, that it actually addresses and answers the individual person before us. You know, if you have someone before you that doesn't even think they're sinful, 
You're going to have to start where they are. You're going to have to address that. But if you have someone who knows already that they are sinful, you don't need to spend all your time there working on that. And so a mature church knows the people who are lost and they learn how to bring the gospel to them in an understandable way. This isn't going to look the same for every person, especially in our diverse neighborhood here. But one example I'll share to illustrate this took place last Saturday when I was at Fusion Fest. At the front, there was this group of picketers, protesters, holding a bunch of signs, protesting a range of things from Trudeau to Soji, an LGBTQ education program. Right? When I talked to them, I realized they rightly and deeply understood that there is evil afoot at work. And I asked them, what's your hope in light of all this evil, this great darkness? And they said that there was a great supreme good that would make sure that good overcomes evil. And that's very true. That's a good start. And so by God's grace, I asked them if I could share with them God's plan as he is revealed in his word to overcome this evil. And I was able to share with them how God overcomes this evil through Jesus Christ. An evil that's not just outside in the world, but also within each person and even within them. Now with someone who doesn't think soji is bad, they think soji is actually good, some of these agendas are good, the approach, the seasoning, if you will, would have to be a little different, wouldn't it? Not drastically, not in the substance, in the meat, because the meat, the substance of the law, human sin, the gospel, these things never change. But the seasoning used may need to change to do our best to share the gospel in a clear, understandable, and effective way. And now, finally, our last point. A mature church of Christ is a church on mission in fellowship. A mature church is not on mission alone. They're connected with other believers, other churches. And now we don't have time to go through the remaining verses as we did uh, verses 2 to 6. But I'll just give a brief overview of these last verses from 7 to 18. In these last, from 7 to 18, Paul is giving his final greetings, as the heading says. And he's giving also instructions from others and himself to the church. And if you look at verse 7 to 9, Paul mentions Tychicus and Onesimus. And Onesimus, he's the slave mentioned in Philemon. These are the two men who are going to bring the letter to the Colossians by hand. And they'll also give like a missionary update. They'll give a testimony to the church on the gospel work that's being done. And so we see here that it's good to share and be encouraged by hearing the work of evangelism. So we may keep that work in prayer and keep those people whom the gospel is shared with in prayer. And hearing about this also encourages us. When we hear about what others are doing, it encourages us to join them in our own way. We're spurred on to evangelism ourselves. And next in verses 10 to 14, 
Paul passes along greetings to the Colossian church from his fellow workers who are dispersed throughout the Roman Empire, people who have supported him in his mission. We see some of these names like Aristarchus and Mark, who some say is the writer of the Gospel of Mark. And then we see the name Justice, Epaphras, and Epaphras, as you may know, was already mentioned in chapter 1. He's given special attention because he served the Colossian church and still is. And next we have Luke, who is also another gospel writer likely, the writer of the gospel of Luke. And then finally, Demas. And so all these people are praying for, are greeting the Colossian church, sending their encouragements The Colossian church, as we see, is not alone, but is universally, globally, catholically supported. And then in verse 15 to 16, Paul says, I'll read these verses, uh, verse 15 to 16. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, See to it that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Paul has the Colossians pass on the letter to the church to the other church in Laodicea. So this was a church that was very nearby to them. And he does so so that that church may be built up as well. And this would have this act, it would have tied these two congregations closer together. They could also use this letter, the book of Colossians, to encourage one another forever. And the Colossians, they're also able to not only receive encouragement, but they're also now able to give encouragement, greeting and supporting this church in Laodicea, supporting this church in their mission as well. And so we see that there's this mutual upbuilding that needs to occur between church and church. And so mature churches are those that multiply the mission of our Lord Jesus Christ. They plant other churches and they also build up other churches. And throughout this process of planting other churches, of building up other churches, through this process, the church itself is built up. We can often think that, oh, if we plant a church or if we help out another church that's taken away our resources, but that's not how things work spiritually. Even statistically, at our missions church planning conference we had at the seminary, this was mentioned. We can even look at this statistically, that churches that do this, that plant other churches or build up other churches, they themselves are actually strengthened and rejuvenated. In this process, they themselves are built up and become more mature. And so, dear brothers and sisters, Maranatha isn't in this alone. You aren't in this alone. You have the support, you have the prayers of other churches. They uphold you not only 
in their prayers, but they would also help you and support you in all other kinds of means, material, spiritual, and wisdom advice. Missions is done in fellowship. And you also have the encouragement and support of pastors and evangelists near and far. Just think back over the past year. Think of all the various pastors that have supported you by preaching from this pulpit in pulpit supply, supporting you in your time of vacancy. Mission in fellowship. Also remember the gathering of the local church leaders in this area at classes. They are here to support, help, and encourage you brothers and sisters. You are not in this alone. If you were ever to need anything, classes, the local churches, and even those across the country are here for you. But what's the reason for this? The reason, the foundation for this is that our mission is one. There is one universal mission just as there is one Lord Jesus Christ, one spirit and one faith. We all have the same mission wherever we are to see Christ glorified and sinners saved. Now we have different local visions for how this mission is worked out in our local cities and communities. Each church is a light in a different city, but we have the same mission. I think of Rebecca and I before we had even thought of coming to intern here. I was still receiving the Fraser Valley Church News. We were reading and hearing about your guys' situation And we were looking forward, actually, to every new release of the church news. And in our family worship, even back then, the Church of Surrey was often part of our prayers. And I'm sure there were countless others just like us in their homes praying for you, brothers and sisters, praying that you would be strengthened to continue on as a church of Christ, that you would remain a light in this city of Surrey, a light for the lost, praying that you would be able to adapt and thrive even as a small church in a big city. Perhaps you guys never realized how many prayers were lifting you up to God. The prayer of Epaphras, continues to be all of our prayers and the prayers of many. Epaphras, who in verse 12, if you look there, is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God. And then we see the theme again, mature and fully assured. This is the main message from God to the Colossians. It's the main message to us that we would be mature and healthy Christians and churches. And so I pray with you for for your church, that you would grow to be a church 
that is mature in Christ, a church on mission, do so by being in fellowship with others. Ask, reach out, and be strengthened by this fellowship. But another way that this text calls Maranatha, this church here, to do mission and fellowship is to help other churches like Colossae helped and encouraged Laodicea. You all know that Maranatha is in a unique situation. The hardships you have faced, however, will also be faced by other churches. But the wonderful thing is that God has put you in this situation that requires you to grow, to learn things you wouldn't have had to in a, what we could say, perhaps more comfortable position. And this allows you guys to send your own greetings to support other churches when they face in the future similar situations. You can be a source of edification, of building up the other churches. You can become partners with them in the gospel. So brothers and sisters, do not lose heart but stand firm in the will of your Lord God in heaven. Our Lord has given one mission to the church and to you, and his spirit is powerful to raise you up to maturity and health. So as a congregation, be devoted to prayer, especially for the salvation of the lost. Be Christ-like in your interaction with unbelievers. Be rooted in the gospel of reconciliation. Know it deeply in your heart so that you can clearly, concisely, and deftly bring that gospel message to the individuals that come across your path. And be encouraged that you are not alone that you have people all over praying for you all. And you have partners in prayer and the gospel who would gladly step in to support you. So congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ in Surrey, continue to become mature in Jesus Christ. Become a mature church, a church on mission for Christ's glory. Amen.